This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Our loving Father in heaven, we thank you for being a constant source of wisdom, strength, um, comfort, um, all the things that we need. We pray, Father, for your spirit to be here with us or to continue being here with us as we um, seek just to learn more about how heaven um, desires us to carry ourselves, especially in the realm of um, courtship. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, our title of this next seminar, we went from advising love's beginning to advising love's growth, right? So we're now moving into the question of a holy versus unholy courtship. Um, And obviously we talked about in the last seminar session at the end that one of the primary differences between a courtship and dating is that there's an aim towards marriage, right? When you're dating, you're just spending time with the opposite sex to have a good time. But when you're courting, you're spending time with another individual to build a relationship, to draw out their affections, because your goal is to get married. You see the potential for that marriage to take place. So here we want to talk about the whole idea of courtship. And so when we look at the history of the word courtship, it goes all the way back to uh, the mid-1500s, when you had kings and queens, and the king had a royal court. He had a what? A royal court. And in that royal court, you had a court jester. You probably heard that term before. Right. He has a a court person who brings him his food. He has a court cook. He has all these different people in his court. And one of the main issues was to court the attention of the king. So people would come in and to entertain the king to try to draw his affections out toward them. And so if you were engaged in trying to win the affections of the king, let's say you were a visiting nation. Or let's say you were a nobleman who was looking for a promotion. You would go to the court of the king in front of him, his wife, the queen, and his kids, and all of his servants. And you were there to perform some great thing to win the affection of the king. If you were doing that, you were engaged in courtship. And this is why Ellen White makes the statement that we should have a thorough knowledge. A what? A thorough knowledge. What does the word thorough mean? Complete, right? You've done your homework. Amen? You should have a thorough knowledge of the individual upon whom you seek to bestow. What word? Your affections. Your affections are yours to give. And you should have a thorough knowledge of that person whom you seek to give your affections to. Are you tracking? You should know who you're giving. It's just like an investment. You're not going to go and say, here's my life savings and just go give it to someone you just met. Am I telling the truth? But we will treat our affections as cheaper than our money. You'll sit and do all your vetting to make sure, hey, no, no, I'm not going to give you all the money my dad just gave to me by inheritance just because you look good. Just because you sound like it's a good investment. I'm not doing that. I'm going to vet you. I'm going to get advice. I'm going to talk to a lawyer. I'm going to talk to a finance person. Am I telling the truth? But when it comes to our affections, we just give them away so freely without doing any investigation. So when we're talking about courtship and playing court, we must recognize that a big part of that whole experience of bonding 
is in drawing the affections out of that other person. Um, now, as we go forward, we want to focus on three key takeaways um, from this particular session. Our first key takeaway is that the goal of courtship is not to avoid pain, but disobedience. I know when you look at this, you're like, huh, not to avoid pain? Who's trying to um, engage? Uh, but um, many times when we are... Um, when we're in a, in a relationship or we're in the stage where we're courting, um, we're feeling like I want to do everything the right way or I don't really want to cause, you know, ruffle any feathers or we end up not being our true authentic selves. And I know that as a female, sometimes you may think, oh, I'm a little too strong in this area, so I'm going to temper that back a little bit uh, just so that... I don't have to experience the pain of him seeing or having something to say about this and it therefore causing things not to work out. And so many times we hold back yep. to avoid the pain. Um, and recognize that, you know, basically what you're doing to a person, right? They think they're marrying Rachel and they're waking up with Leah, right? It's like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, she's so nice and she's so about ministry. And I'm telling you the truth, right? We told you in the introduction, we're going to give you the good, the bad and the ugly, right? And a big, big, big thing that, you know, I always appreciated about our courtship is that we were very honest with each other before we were even dating, right? I remember us having a very honest conversation about ministry. And she's like, well, you're traveling a lot and all the, I don't know if I want that life. But we're interested. But we got to have an honest and open conversation, right? We can't just sit here and talk and pretend like, you know, Sebastian is preaching. You know, Sebastian is traveling in ministry. That's what he senses God is calling him to do. You know you're interested in going to grad work and all these different things and being a mom. How do we now have a conversation about this honestly rather than, oh, let's all look prim and proper. Everybody on Sabbath sees us sitting together matching sweaters and we get to have all the benefits like we're dating and courting. We're about to get married. And then once we get married, now all the honest stuff comes out. But it's too late. You cross the line. You married. So don't come crying to the preacher like, oh, you know, my husband this, my wife this. Like, bro, did you check her out before you got married? She was pretty. She was coming to Bible study. Are you serious? Marriage is more than being pretty and coming to a Bible study. Somebody should have said amen. It's true. That's the truth. Sorry, and, babe, I heard and you. And even on the converse, you know, he said going to bed uh, um, with a thinking you married Rachel and waking up with Leah. But on the converse, we can also end up not... By holding back, we end up, um, we can end up in a situation where a person thinks that, okay, well, maybe this is not the person that I really need to be in a relationship with because the very things that you're hiding or you're holding back are the things that they're looking for. And that's, so it works on both sides. And, and I think that's a critical point, babe, that you're bringing out because, you know, one of the things that a lot of people, you know, when, when Candace and I had expressed interest, right, a lot of people didn't know. And so a lot of guys would come to me and they'd be like, yeah, man, I think I'm interested in Candace. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> I need some counsel. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I think this is a bad deal. You know, it's like. <laughs> but when these guys were coming to me, their perception of Candace was different than who I knew she was. They're like, oh, Candace is super nice, very supportive. I still am. But. I'm not saying you're not supportive, babe. <laughs> and they looked at Candace as she's going to be that, you know, Martha Stewart in the kitchen making hors d'oeuvres and 
entertaining yeah, and no, super no. happy to sew your clothes from scratch. <laughs> but I said, you know, Candace is a very strong mind. And they were like, yeah, but I feel like, you know, I could be with a girl like this. And I said, nah, bro, you don't know what you're getting into. <laughs> I was like, you have to recognize the fact that Candace is that way because you're not her boyfriend. She'll be cool and calm and, you know, yeah, that's cool. You want to do that? But in her mind, she's thinking Sebastian will never do that. You know, you have, I remember one time we went, to, we went to church and this guy came in, you know, and his tie was all jacked up and, you know, his shirt was clearly not ironed. And, you know, my wife, she doesn't play that stuff. So, <laughs> but she's coming to him and she's like, hey, man, you know, there's a way you can fix this to make it look right. She's fixing his tie up. And she's like, you know, you're going up on the pulpit like you need to look appropriate. But she's very encouraging and positive. Hey, it's OK. Don't feel bad. You know, Jesus is going to accept you as you are. Just focus on what you're doing. <laughs> now, let me try to walk to the door with a wrinkled shirt. Babe, where are you going? Like, <laughs> about to go to church. No, nah, not like that. People are going to think that because I'm your wife, I allow this stuff. Like, I'm like, allow this stuff. Like, yes. So it's, it's a recognition of the fact that sometimes the, the aspects that Candace did not show about herself, right, were things that for her it was like, we're not in a relationship, so this is not appropriate for me to show to you. I don't need to have that kind of intimacy with you. But when we were becoming very good friends... We, our goal was not to avoid the pain of this doesn't work out. We wanted to be honest. And if it wasn't going to work out, it wasn't going to work out. And yes, that hurts because you were public, right? Once you go public and everyone knows you're dating or everyone knows you were engaged, no one wants to come back to church and have to deal with the fact that, oh, what happened to, to you and Bobby? What happened to you and Sebastian? How come that didn't work out? Hey, hey, what about James? You know, it's like, well, you know, and you got to try to make up these answers because you're not trying to blast the dude and be like, well, he messed up and did this and this. So because he might be preaching that Sabbath. I'm telling you the truth. And so because of that, we are so afraid of the pain of separation and having to face the community about it that we'd rather push the relationship forward than be honest and say this ain't going to work out. Because guess what? I'll take two weeks of pain, three months of discomfort than a lifetime of sorrow anytime so for us this is a very critical takeaway that when it comes to courtship a holy versus an unholy courtship it's not just about physical boundaries it's also about inauthenticity don't try to pretend to be what you're not because once you get married it will come out and you will find people and we've talked to people you know babe i don't know if you can speak to that because she's the marriage and family therapist so she gets people telling her some stuff they won't tell me, but. Uh, let me think about it some more. <laughs> <laughs> but you, 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 get, you get these individuals who will come and be like, you know, my husband deceived me, my wife deceived me, people are falling out of love, been married, right, and everything was great, and even though you counseled them that, hey, I don't think this is a good idea, okay. stuff goes south. Yes, and that is a very painful, I remember that, that's a very painful thing to, to listen to people that, that, or to listen to people that are experiencing that, you know, where they come, they've been experiencing or expecting something in marriage, they've gone through all the process, the processes to get to that point, only to come to say, I think this other person deceived me. Like, that's a true, legit, Rachel, Jacob, and Leah, Leah. type situation, right? And nobody wants to 
to be in that situation because you know once you cross the line you've crossed the line um and so yes be real <laughs> be honest and i think where Kenneth and i draw this principle from you know even in our marriage we continue to practice it that you know she's not going to pretend that she likes something i'm doing just because Right. If we're in public and I say or do something she doesn't like, she's not going to blast me in front of other people. But for sure, on the way back to the hotel in the elevator, you know, you're going to find out, like, hey, that was not cool. Like, you shouldn't have said that to that person. And in that sense, right, it, it lets you know that in Jesus's life, when Jesus was born of Mary, he did not live his life to avoid pain because he knew exactly where his life was going. He lived his life to avoid disobedience. That would have destroyed the plan of salvation. And God's purpose for his life was disobedience, not pain. Are you following what we're saying? Yeah. So in your own relationship and courting, don't think that God's purpose for you in marriage and relationships is gone because of pain. It's only gone because of disobedience. You step into some foolishness, then we are now stepping into a Samson situation. Where now God's purpose for your life is now more difficult to accomplish. Because you and I decided to veer off from his will. We decided to do things our way rather than God's way. So for us, this is just a very critical principle that we see in Jesus' life. And we, we feel it is immediately and very pressingly relevant when it comes to courtship. And what separates holy from unholy courtship. Uh, our next thing... Our next takeaway supposed to be moving to the next takeaway, but the disobedience part, I yeah. know I just wanted to mention too um, that you know Sebastian was talking about his calling, like knowing very early on what God was calling him to, and female, some of us too know what God has placed on our hearts, and he has revealed what what things what areas he wants us to be a blessing in the world, right and so um, in some ways. Sebastian could have said, well, I know God has called me to do this, but I'm really interested in this girl and I really want things to work. So maybe I can hold back on or maybe I just won't speak as much or maybe I'll just do this or that and finding ways to kind of um, accommodate yep. what he thought my own desires were. Um, and at that, that would be him being disobedient, right? Um, so it's not just disobedience of we didn't follow, you know, the, the, physical, the physical boundaries or... Um, we ate something like it's it's more than that even being disobedient in what it is that we know that God is calling us to like our fuller purpose so that's I just right. didn't want to no that's a good point I, I, and I, I didn't even think about the fact of how you know sometimes we surrender our calling to God to try to accommodate a relationship and that should never be the case um, and I think yeah babe that's a great point our next takeaway that courtship is not an automatic gateway to marriage, but a testing and preparation for it. You know, you get these people who court, getting into a relationship is such a big deal to update that thing on their Facebook profile that once they do it, they don't want to change it. Am I telling the truth? Mm -hmm. They don't want the drama. They don't want that. So for them, it's like courtship is rubber stamp. We're going to get married. When courtship is not about, oh, because we're dating, we're automatically going to get married. Are you following? Courtship is a gateway to marriage. It is a testing and a preparation for it. Right? You don't just get married just because, hey, he's godly, I'm godly, he loves Jesus, we're, our ministries are parallel. I hear that a lot about people, oh, well, you know, he preaches, I play the piano. 
you know, she's into, you know, organizing and I'm a very good visionary. That does not mean you should get married. And it's the truth, right? You need to recognize that a big part of this is testing and preparation for marriage. So don't come in and think, well, because we're dating and now we're public and our, and our parents gave their blessing, automatically we should just go for it no matter what. That is dangerous thinking. Very dangerous thinking. So for us, it's very critical that when we look at a holy versus an unholy courtship, don't go into a situation where you decided what God's will was before you even had time to look at what you were dealing with. And this is a very critical point that I think Candace and I also want to address under this uh, takeaway. You know, a lot of people, when they go into relationships, they have this mindset that God has one specific person for them. And if that doesn't work out with that specific person, then oh well. Now, going back to the quote that we said from Ellen White, that one should have a thorough knowledge of the one upon whom you seek to bestow your affections. Now, I want you to follow what God is encouraging us to do in that statement. Have a thorough knowledge. That means investigation, does it not? Thorough knowledge. Does that not take time? Yes or no? Mm -hmm. Okay. Bestow your affections. Is that not a choice or not? Yes or no? So now, how does that reconcile with the fact that I can just go on my knees and pray and God's going to give me a vision and be like, boom, Candace is your wife. Those don't go together. This is the person, you're going to marry that person no matter what. Now we're, we're, we're venturing into the area of pre, predestination. Where we're basically saying that, oh, I'm just going to pray and see, is this God's will for me to marry this person? You don't even know them. And how can you marry someone you don't know? Because you don't know them, you don't love them. And if you don't love them, it's a sin to marry them. So in tracking back on this point, that courtship is a preparation and a testing for marriage. Big parts of courtship are all about learning how you and him and her solve problems together. You got to engage in things that we begin to learn. How do we work together? How do we solve problems together? And if we're not able to do that, you're not going to do well in marriage because you're going to have a lot of problems. You're going to have to solve them together. And if we are not able to solve them together and we're like, well, I'm going to do my thing and you do your thing, that's not a marriage. That's a roommate. Those are two different things. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, we'd like to term that you, you can be mated. That's being mated versus being matched, right? Mm -hmm. um, Sebastian just described being mated, but it's not necessarily the right match. Right. Yeah, the mated but not matched is, is very, very critical because... I think for, for Candace and myself, we, when we look at our relationship and some of the people that we've counseled together, you know, you recognize that people, they're very, very afraid of facing up to the fact that this relationship may not work. Especially when you come to the point of engagement. They're just afraid. And now you're coming for outside counsel and somebody who Candace and I always tell them, like, we don't love you. And we don't love you. We're not invested in making this relationship work. Mm -hmm. We're invested in making sure that God can bless this relationship. And that all the things that are going to bring unhappiness and sorrow into this relationship have been identified. And that you're being honest. So don't come to us expecting us to rubber stamp your relationship 
and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're good. We're just going to go through these sessions just to go through the motions. Then what's the point of premarital counseling? If you came for counseling, that means you don't have all the answers. And if you don't have all the answers, that means you and I have to have a heavy dose of humility. And acknowledge that I could be blinded by my emotion. I could be blinded by attraction. I can be blinded by my bonding. I could be blinded by my own desire to recognize that my clock's ticking. And I can't have kids for too many more years, so I better hurry up and get married. And you know some of y'all thinking like that. Women and men. I got an expiration date. Please use by December 2017. It's like, that's not a safe approach to relationships. Mm-hmm. We got to be honest and recognize, hey, if the Lord can't bless it, why would you want anything that God cannot bless? All right. And also, as it being a testing and a preparation for um, marriage, we also remember that it's also a testing phase to see what kind of love we do have for this person. Um, in the last session, we, we went through attraction, we went through interest, we went through liking, and then the next, the next step on that progression was love, right? Um, but sometimes we realize, or we may not always realize, that there are different types of love. Um, there's need love, appreciative love, gift love. Um, Sebastian, you can go ahead and define them. We know <laughs> sure. you like to define terms. Um, so when, when we look at, C.S. Lewis has a good book that we recommend. It's called The Four Loves. Um, it's a great thing to explore the concepts that we're about to talk about right now. In this book, he talks about this idea of need love, appreciative love, and gift love. Now, a need love is the kind of love that when my daughter sees a dog and she comes terrified and she runs to me, she's not running to me because, oh yeah, I just appreciate my papa so much. No, she's running to me because out of her love for me is that she feels like I'm going to protect her. Are you following me? Right? It's not because she's like, oh, you know, I just want to encourage my papa and give him a big hug. No, she's running to me because she's terrified. She needs protection. And she's like, I love you. I need you. Pick me up, please. Hold me because I'm afraid of this dog. That's a sense of need love where desire precedes the actual affection. And this is very important. This is how we identify infatuation. When there's a desire behind it. Because what happens when the desire is fulfilled? I no longer have any love for you. Just like Amnon and Tamar. Oh, I love her so much, I can't even eat. Soon as he raped her, he hated her and kicked her out of his house. What happened to all that love? Because it was a need love. It was based upon a desire that he had. But appreciative love is a type of love that, you know, you ever walk by somebody in the hallway and they, they have a really nice perfume or cologne. And you're just like, mm, that smells. And you're looking in the crowd like, who is that? You know, it's not that you're necessarily looking for the person. And you weren't needing a good smell. Are you following that? There was no desire. I just need to smell something that smells good. You know, maybe women have that feeling. But <laughs> as men, we're not thinking like, I just need to smell something good. So desire did not precede your appreciation of that good cologne. Are you following you're just appreciating the fact that this thing smells good. And even if you don't have the cologne, you're not saying no one else could, should have this cologne. You're just saying that smells really good. I wish I could find it because I'd like to smell it again. And that's a, an appreciative type of love. So when you, you look at your relationship, when you look at infatuation, infatuation says, I need you. But appreciation says, I appreciate you. Right? I'm giving you value and recognition that... 
just because of who you are. Mm -hmm. Even if I cannot be with you, I still recognize that that's a good person. Even if someone else marries him or her, I still appreciate the fact that that's a godly guy. That's a beautiful woman. And I can appreciate who she is or who he is. Gift love is the kind of love that motivates a father to go to work every day. To provide for his family. He's not necessarily reaping any benefits out of what he is doing. His love is simply a self-sacrificial love where he says, I want to give this to you for your benefit alone. Now, we recognize that in this particular space, when we engage in relationships with people, our ideal is to be able to develop the kind of relationship in our courtship where we don't have a need love. It's not based on a desire like I need companionship or I need just to have someone to be around me or I just want someone to hug me or just to call when I'm having a bad day. That's a need love. And when the bad days go away or you find someone better to satisfy, you will no longer be in love with them. But with an appreciative love, you're saying, you know what, even if I can't have this person, I still appreciate who they are. And I'm thankful for the time that I had with them in this particular relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's the type of love that we're seeking to have. I think that's, a, it sounds really honorable, right? But actually, it's a good guide as well, because we know that um, it's a good indicator so, and a guide knowing that what we're feeling is legitimate. It is um, true, pure love. And um, it makes me think back to our time um, before we... Weren't dating. I, I, yeah, we weren't dating. So I guess we were friends, but we had expressed interest. Um, mm -hmm. So it was during this waiting phase that I told everyone in the first session that was kind of driving me crazy because this was different for me. Waiting a year and nine months, like, who does that? Um, before you can say, after you've already expressed interest, and then you're just kind of like, okay. Well, so during that time of feeling crazy and being driven crazy, I was like, Jesus, I just need some me and you time. I need to get out of here. So... Um, I went away and was on some mission trips, and um, we knew that we would, we decided that we wouldn't talk to each other during that time. You know, we were just taking some time to figure things out. Four months. Um, and um, we knew that at the end of the trip, he was going to be coming to the same place that I was. We were doing it like a joint trip, our groups were. And so at that time, we'd reconvene and see what God, you know, what the conclusion was, where we're going from here. Um, and I remember during that time, there were people, other, other males that were probably, that were, that I started having, fit or having attraction mm. towards. That's right, that's right. Interest in. And I'm thinking, whoa, what's going on here? Clean it um, up. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also, you know, different pivotal questions. You know, what if, what if marriage is not what God wants for you? You know, uh, someone asked me, you know. Well, what if God said no? And I was like, what? He's not going to say no. <laughs> he, knows, he knows the desires of my heart. Come on. Um, <laughs> but I remember finally getting to a place where I was like, you know, if Jesus said no, it's okay. And, well, that was a harder place to get to. Um, if Jesus said no, it would be okay. I would be hurt and I'd be upset, but it would still be okay because I'd rather have Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, well, there's another point as well where I came to realize not only do I, I love my Jesus, but I also do love Sebastian enough to say, you know, if I really am not the best person for him, I'd rather him 
find that person and be with them because I want, I, I truly do love him and I want the best for him. I love you too, babe. I love you too. <laughs> and look, it worked out. Amen. <laughs> and I think during that same time um, when we were not talking, you know, I had similar experiences and I remember that even though we weren't supposed to talk, I was sending her emails. <laughs> so I was like, I'll just send this email. She in Africa, she can't get this email. So um, there's no Wi-Fi. <laughs> so rude. But I wanted to express, you know, during that time, my thoughts, because I was, I recognized during that time how much I appreciated her friendship and just our ability to talk and connect and discuss different things and her perspective being very different from mine. Um, and one of the things that I re recognized during that time when we were not talking and looking at the testing and preparation and all that stuff aspect of courtship was I said, you know, one of the things I loved about Candace was that how humble she was, right? She didn't care if I never ever preached at a big conference again. It would have never changed her view of who I was. She never cared about how much money I was making or what kind of house we would possibly live in or my income level or any of those things, for her, it was all about you as a person. She said, look, even if we just have to drive, and I remember one time, you know, we took a date night and, you know, we just drove to some little, I don't even know where that was, got some uh, vegan ice cream. <laughs> and we're like, well, we're just gonna split this ice cream and just sit and talk. And to think about the fact that, you know, you could have met a girl who was like, what kind of date is this? Like, I don't want to be here. Like, this is so boring. Like, take me to this kind of place, right? And she was the one that suggested it. Like, I don't need to go anywhere. We don't need to spend any money. I just want to sit down and spend time with you. And in that sense, when I had saw her in Ethiopia, I had already decided in my mind, right, that I was going to come to her and say, look, I, I want you to be my girlfriend. This is where we're going. I'm trying to get married next year. You know, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Had the whole plan, and I remember in Ethiopia, we went for a walk, and that was the time I was going to tell her, right? I was super nervous. I was like, she was like, what's wrong with you? I was like shaking and stuff. <laughs> She's like, like I ain't never seen his brother shaking. Like, and uh, so I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, under the Ethiopian moon. Um, <laughs> and I said, you know, I'm, I'm really interested. I want to take this relationship to the next level. And I'm thinking, I know she's interested. We talked about it already a year and a half ago. And she looked at me and she said, well, I got to talk to Jesus first. I'm like, what? <laughs> I thought we had this conversation. So there I was in Ethiopia waiting two days, right? She just left me hanging. I did. I was a little salty. <laughs> But we, we appreciated the fact that through that time when she came back and she said, I prayed about it and the Lord gave me his blessing. Um, and we prayed, we had a prayer together. We thanked the Lord. And um, even before we put it on Facebook, that following December, <laughs> you know, it was a whole ritual. We were like sitting there at the computer praying together and we we're all <laughs> nervous and stuff because we knew people about to start emailing you and, you know, sending you messages. So what, what's going on? <laughs> so we... Um, so yeah, going through that whole process, we saw, especially after we got married, uh, the week after our wedding, I was sick the whole week. I mean, literally, like, terribly sick. And therefore, we couldn't really do anything, right? But we ended up staying home, and we were just talking and laughing, and one of the things that really shocked us was that after our wedding, and we were there just hanging out, and I was sick, we just didn't realize how good of friends we were. 
and that we didn't need all those extra things to laugh and to talk and to enjoy each other's company. Um, and that's what really shocked us after we we're married because we had already gone through all the honest conversation. There was no surprise. There was nothing we were going to do or a weakness that came out that we didn't know about each other because we had confronted it and we were honest about it. The next thing that um, appreciative love gives you the freedom to do is not wait for there to be some kind of tragic ending. Right? Sometimes when we're courting, we feel like, okay, there has to be this big thing that, that comes in, or a big, he has to make a big mistake, or she has to make this big mistake in order for us to stop or to end this. Um, and many times we don't really, we don't always need those, those huge things, or maybe they may not come. And so we continue progressing because we're like, well, that hasn't happened, but we see other little things along the way. That's right. Um, so, um, this, having that appreciative love as well helps and protects us, gives us the freedom to, um, to know that this is not our only way out as if something tragic were to happen. Right, you're not waiting for the person to cheat on you or decide to give up their faith in God. Like, oh, it's like if these things don't happen, this relationship should just go forward no matter what. That's not true. And this goes back to the emotional intelligence we talked about in the previous seminar. You have to know yourself. And you have to recognize, like, this is not working out for me. And when I was single, before I met Candice, and I was to travel and preach, people would be like, so, Sebastian, man, when you get married, man, where, you know, where's your wife, man? Where's your Ruth, man? Like, and I'm like, look, man, ask Jesus. You know, I'm not going to be pressured into a relationship. And, and people used to say, well, Sebastian, I mean, what's the issue? And I said, look, I'm not single because I can't get married. If I wanted to get married, I could find someone to marry but I said, the reason why I'm single is because I can't just marry anyone. And that's a decision we had to make in our minds. Candace, in the same way, it's like, we can't just marry anyone. You may make mistakes. You may fall here and there in terms of the relationship path. But you have to determine and purpose in your heart. I'm not just going to get married just to get married. If I'm going to be single, it's because I can't just marry anyone. There are no good options. So I tell people, if you went to, the, to buy a car and all the cars were broken down and had issues, you wouldn't just buy a car just to have a car. Are you following? You want to make sure you buy a car? That works. And it's the same thing with your relationship and your marriage. Mm -hmm. So we, we move on to another key takeaway in terms of holy versus unholy courtship, and that is infatuation is not legitimate interest. One of the best ways to identify infatuation, as we talked about, is that need love, that base of desire. That something, they needed something. So remember I told you my spiritual mother talked to me about, you need to learn to cook, you need to learn to clean your own place, learn how to take care of yourself, and remove all these things off the table so that no woman can exploit your weaknesses. Or no man can exploit your insecurities as a woman. You know how many Adventist girls get caught up because a brother just got a silver tongue? She's super insecure, super broken. No one ever told her she was pretty. No one ever took her aside and said, hey, I want to spend money on you and call her when she's feeling down. And girls, you know, we, you play into it, right? You over here depressed and everything, and he calling, so let me talk to him, you know. I need a friend. But in the back of your mind, you know better. And so when, when we're going through infatuation, um, and recognizing, like, I can't just be in a relationship because I need this thing. You want to make sure you're in a relationship because I appreciate. Mm -hmm. And that appreciation of that person brings you to two decisions in your mind. Number one, what Candace said earlier, 
if I'm not the best person for you, I have so much respect for you that I will break up with you because I'm not the best person. And we need to recognize when we're bringing stress in other people's lives because we got baggage, because we got problems. But no, I want you. And guess what? That's a selfish love and that's not a godly love and that will not lead to a happy marriage. Please believe there's a time when the wedding dress will come off and all the little accoutrements that go to that preparation for the wedding and all the photos are on Facebook, that ain't never stopped the person from getting divorced. They never stopped the person from not cheating on their spouse. Let me look at my wedding pictures. Oh, you know, that day was so amazing. No, they're thinking, what was I thinking on that day? I don't love this person. I'm not happy. Those things are not going to make up for true happiness. And that appreciative love should lead us to a gift love where we say, I want to do these things so that my wife can have a good life. If I can give her those things, it's not because she did something for me. It's not because I owe them to her. It's simply because of I appreciate who she is. And in my opinion, she deserves them because she's just a good person. So we want to make sure that we don't get caught up in infatuation and just being drawn. And one of the clearest signs of infatuation is a lack of patience. People can't wait. And goes both ways. You know, sometimes women will be pressing guys. I remember I was talking to a girl in college and we were just friends. And I kind of sensed maybe she was interested. And before you know it, right, we're hanging out and talking, right? Because I'm thinking I don't like her, so it doesn't matter. Just like we talked about last session. Oh, you know, I don't like her. I'm not attracted to her, so we can hang out. Don't matter. But clearly she had feelings. And every single day she's like, well, what is this? What are we? I'm like, we are friends. <laughs> well, what are you saying? Like, what do I look like to you? You look like a friend. <laughs> That's how you look to me. <laughs> and it's like, well, I mean, we're hanging out. We're doing this. Yeah, that's great. We're hanging out. Like, I hang out with my boys. Like, I'm not trying to date him. Like, he's not asking, what is this? And she's like, I'm not one of your boys. In my mind, you're one of my boys. Like, and as we're having this conversation, you know, in, in, in not addressing the reality is, is that, look, I don't appreciate that person like that. Why am I... Why am I playing this game? I need to just own. This is where I stand. I'm not trying to go that direction with this particular person. And I got to tell them the truth. And I need to conduct myself accordingly. So that I'm not operating on the fact that why was I keeping her around? Because she was fulfilling needs that I had. But at the end of the day, I didn't love her as a person. And I wasn't looking to take that relationship in any particular place. Okay, so let's move on to the Bible as we have. Um, our awesome. time is running down, right? All right, let's go to Genesis chapter 24. Look at some of these things. Genesis chapter 24, looking at Isaac and Rebekah. Definitely... Um, Samson first? Let's do it first. Okay. So we're going to switch gears a little bit and just move to um, Judges. We're going to look at Samson and Delilah a little um, very briefly. 
because uh, it kind of um, goes along with what Sebastian was just talking about. So we'll look at Judges. Judges 14. 14. Judges 14. Samson is one of my favorite people in the Bible. And the reason why he's one of my favorite people in the Bible is because he shows me, he showed me myself. Mm. And a lot of these principles I knew. As looking at Samson's life, I'm like, this is exactly what I was doing. So Judges 14. Um, Just verses you to... 1 through 5. I'll go yeah, ahead go and ahead. read it for us. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Tim Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that this was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had, had dominion over Israel. Now, I want you to notice several different problems with this. And I hope you already are starting to recognize them in Samson's life. The first thing is, he goes to the daughters of who? <laughs> who did he go to the daughters of? The Philistines, right? Now, what did his parents ask him in their grief? Is there not a person where? Among your people who believe as you believe. So we got to be very, very clear that in this courtship phase, I'm not saying there's not a lot of people that are respectful, that are loving, that have upright characters who are non-Adventists. There are people like that who are non-Adventists, honest. They love God in terms of what they know of him and what they understand, but they are not of the daughters of your people. And please believe the temptation is real. Why? Because of need love. We want companion and we come to church and we feel like we can't be our actual selves with another Adventist because they're going to drop your business. Because you know in our church we have a problem with gossip. So you go and be real with someone, they break up or you guys have some drama, now they just put all your business on social media. You know I'm telling the truth. And I've preached at churches that are divided by those very types of issues. His son embarrassed my daughter, blah, blah, blah. He should be disfellowshipped from the church, all this kind of stuff. And the church doesn't take action. Okay, we're out the church. We're going to go to a different local church. All over some foolishness like this. Now, here's the reality. Is that for many of us, right, if we are considering someone who does not know God, does not believe in the sanctuary message, does not recognize where Jesus is right now, and in terms of the message that God has given us to preach, I always give people the very basic illustration. We are pictured in Revelation 14 as angels flying in the midst of heaven. Amen? Now, if we are angels flying in the midst of heaven, what are we supposed to be doing, according to the Bible? Having the everlasting gospel to do what? To preach. To every nation, tribe, tongue, and people that dwell upon the earth, right? So can you imagine an angel, right? Gabriel, God sends Gabriel to go tell Mary that she's going to give birth to Jesus and comes back and say, hey, you know, Mary and I are in a relationship. What? 
God didn't send Gabriel down there to explore some sort of friendship with Mary. He sent Gabriel down there to bring a what? A message. So if you're not an angel carrying the message, then you're a person in need of the message. How can I be dating a person who needs the message? Because what's going to be the result? I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about our favorite TV shows and what kind of cereal we like and what kind of house we may want to live in. Then I'm talking about your eternal salvation and where this great controversy is going. Mm -hmm. Don't be fooled and think because someone has emotional fondness for us that in the end times when all this stuff is coming down and hitting the fan, all of a sudden they're going to switch sides. No. If you are not with him, you are against him. Now that may not come out now, but when the Sunday law and all these different things hit, it will come out. And so we must not play the game that Samson is trying to play. Well, I'm going to use this relationship to make a move on the Philistines. No, God was using Samson's foolishness in going to the women of the Philistines. And notice what else the Bible said. Samson says in verse 3, get her for me, for she what? She pleases me. Pleases me well. Is the focus upon her? Who's the focus on? It's on Samson. She pleases me. Well, the, second, the first question he should be asking is, does she please God? Mm -hmm. But that's not the question we ask. Does this person please me? Well, that's great that they please you. The question is, do they please Jesus? I think here, babe, let's move on over to Isaac and Rebecca. Genesis 24. Yep. My wife keeping me on track. So Samson, clearly he was not avoiding pain, right? We see that in there. He was just seeking, he was avoiding disobedience. He was just seeking his own pleasure. And also in doing so, um, he was actually, his purpose what, he was not even at all taking his purpose into consideration. And we'll see that handled a little differently when it comes to Isaac and Rebecca. So Genesis 24, baby, you want to read? Sure. Uh, and at the end of the day, we know what happened to Samson. It didn't end up too well for him. As he continued trying to seek his own pleasure. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, Genesis 24, looking at verse 2, or just from verses 2 through 8. So Abram said to, so Abram said to the oldest servant, well, let's start in verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the, to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying to your descendants, I give this land, he will send, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. 
And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So here we see Isaac is not even involved in this transaction. He submitted to the wisdom and the trust of his father, Abraham, to help him to find a wife. So when we look at the contrast between Samson and, and, and Isaac, we see Samson fighting against the wishes and the wisdom of his parents. Do we not? Mm-hmm. Samson, can't you find a woman among your brethren? Oh, no, she pleases me. Here you have Isaac on the opposite side saying, here's a man who I know God spoke to, called him to leave, and has blessed him in all things. Isaac says, look, if God blessed Abraham, even though he messed up in Egypt, God took him out and saved Sarah. God blessed Abraham and he delivered Lot. God blessed Abraham even though he decided to go away from Sodom. All these different experiences, the Bible says God had blessed Abraham in all things. So Isaac said to himself, my father is wiser, he's a blessed person, and he's 175 years old. You think you can't trust his wisdom over your own? So in this sense, Isaac decided, I'm going to submit to the wisdom of my father, and I trust that he's aware. So when we look at the requirements that Abraham said to his servant, he said, first of all, she can't be a daughter of the Canaanites. And if you want to know what Canaanites were doing, just read the book of Leviticus. Sleeping with animals, all kinds of orgies, sacrificing their babies on altars and all these different kinds of things. You can understand why someone would tell you any woman who would take her own baby and put it on a metal altar to sacrifice to that. You don't want to marry into that religion. Can you say amen? Amen. So he's not just saying Canaanites like, oh, nothing's really serious over there. No, not of the daughter of the Canaanites, from his own country, from his own family. And he said, I told you to go get a wife from my son, not a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. The clear intention is marriage, which is the exact separation between dating and courtship. He said, I want you to go get a wife from my son. Now, when we look at Abraham's requirements, he also says, she must be willing to come to Canaan without seeing Isaac. We must recognize that at the very heart of every relationship, there must be a step of faith. You never truly know. You never truly know. And there must be some elements of God's providence or his leading that you sense God is leading me in this direction, but it is your choice. She must be willing. Are you following It wasn't just get her from me and God's like, you're the one. You better come now or you're disobeying him. No. He also says this, and I love this one. Eleazar says, what if the woman's not willing to come? I mean, that would make sense, right? Hey, you want to come marry my master? I mean, how does he look? Does he have any money? Like, where does he live? Like, what's his situation? No, 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 no. Should I take Isaac back there? And Abram says, beware. Do not take my son back to the very place God called me from. That means you don't have to go into the world to find someone. You don't need to go backwards spiritually to get married. If you get into a relationship and the condition of the relationship is that you must lower your spirituality. You must lower your evangelistic commitment. That's the wrong relationship. Mm -hmm. You don't go back to get married. He says, don't ever take my son back there. She has to come here. And then he says, well, what if she's not willing? He says, then it will not be. 
willingness to let it go if it doesn't work. But I want you to notice there are clear non-negotiables on Abraham's mind. Those non-negotiables have been expressed to Eleazar, and Isaac, by submitting to Abraham, has also acquiesced to the same non-negotiables. Mm -hmm. It's very important that we develop our own set of non-negotiables. Now, when we look at it from a modern application, right, in today's world, how do we apply these same principles? Well, the first thing we see is that not being a daughter of the Canaanites means not of the world, not a false worshiper. When you look in John 4, the woman at the well, because of the sake of time, I'm not going to turn there. Mm -hmm. But Jesus makes a statement to the woman at the well, and he says, salvation is of the Jews. We know what we worship. You don't know what you're worshiping. He says, and God seeks such that worship him, how? In spirit and in truth. That's what he told the woman. That's who God is looking for. And right now, you don't know what you're worshiping. So clearly, she was not of the people. She was not of those places where salvation lies. Why would you marry someone who you know in eternity is going to be lost? You set yourself up for grief. You're going to marry someone who may never, ever make the decision to cross the line for Jesus. Makes sense that God has these requirements because he doesn't want us to experience sorrow. He wants us to go to heaven with the people we love. But not just they're not supposed to be from the, the world of the Canaanites or from a daughter of the Canaanites, but they're supposed to be from his country, right? But his country, um, what does that mean? From... Um, of God's people. I know many times we look around and we say, oh, there's no one in the church. And many times females, I'll speak from our perspective. We're like, well, this guy treats me well. He, he knows how to, how to take care of me. At the end of the day, yeah, he may not agree with all the principles, but he believes that there's a God. And we think that that's enough. Um, they're not from God's country. Yep. Um, nor are they from his, or we can go to the converse where not only do they need to be from his country, but they also have to be from his, his family. Um, we can look in the church, too, and we say, well, they're in the church. They're Adventists, and, you know, we, go, we keep the Sabbath, we keep the health principles, et cetera, et cetera. But we see in their practical daily life, living or in the areas where it doesn't matter in terms of their character, their integrity, et cetera, they're not at all living what it is that we know we ought or the things that we preach. Yeah, they're not converted. They're not and, born again. Yes. They're not born again. They're not converted, exactly. They're not born again. They are not from his family. Um, the fourth thing here, uh, his intention is to get a wife. And so it demonstrates the qualities of a mate. Uh, we're not looking for someone to explore it. So we see here he was looking for a wife. Again, this is courtship. This is not, this is not the stages of trying to figure out if you're interested in a person. Um, so does this, is this person, as a package, are they marriage material? That's right. Um, uh, so that is the intention. And you know, it reminds me, back in the day, even before I was a Christian, you know, we used to have this phrase where we'd say, this girl is wifey material. And you knew as a worldly person, there was a difference between a girl that was like, you could date her and play around, but you wasn't going to bring her home for Thanksgiving. Because you knew what your mom was going to say. 
And I'm telling you the truth. Or you don't bring someone home for Thanksgiving because right. you're not ready to get married. So right. you don't want them to say anything. You already know. Like, yeah, my parents ain't going to go for this one. They're not. And you know the difference. Even in the world, we knew the difference. That girl got a job. She's intelligent. She looks sophisticated, respectable. You know, she has goals and aspirations. I could bring her home with my family. My family is a group of very intelligent people. You bring some girl home who can't hold a conversation, my family be looking at me like, what happened? Why'd you bring her here? Like, <laughs> you know, and, and so I knew that I'm not gonna bring that kind of person here. I remember my brother started dating a girl and my dad's first question was, does she have a job? I'm like, what? Does she have a job? He's like, I mean, you need a woman that can work. Like, <laughs> why are you, why you gonna sit up here and just marry someone because she's chilling at home, no, no sort of drive, no sort of duty, no sense of purpose? He's like, you think that's gonna change when you get married? And then you're gonna be that guy that's embarrassed to even tell people that's your wife. And ladies, we can easily apply this to the men as well. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, um, not just picking on women. Oh, no, no. Yeah. I think we know that, but I just, you know, I have to say for the record. Um, and so, yes, making sure that this person is wifey, husbandy, hubby material. <laughs> um, so we also have, must be willing to come to Canaan without seeing. That means you have to be willing to come into the relationship on the basis of faith. You're never going to fully know. You have to get that idea out of your mind. You know, you get these guys, right? They start getting cold feet on the way to the wedding or whatever. So, I don't know, man. Am I making a mistake? Maybe. I mean, I mean, she did go off last week. Like, what if there's something in there? It's like, look, man, you're never going to fully know. She may present this thing. And I said, anybody can pretend to be anything if they're motivated enough to deceive you. That's just the truth. And it goes from male to female in both ways. So in that sense, you have to recognize that this is a decision of faith. This is not a decision of complete certainty. I don't care what anybody says. They'll be like, oh, I knew, I knew. I'm like, yep, and then you found out when you got married what you really signed up for. Mm -hmm. And that's the reality. And he talked about already uh, not returning to the world to get your spouse. Um, that's not just in like physical, you know, looking outside versus inside the church, but also um, where are you with the Lord right now? Are you going to have to not really, you know, dumb your spirituality down for all intents and purposes in order for this to be um, a relationship that works? And we know according to God, that's not, that's not what, that's not the person that he sent for us. They should never be taking us backwards. They should be lifting us for upward and moving us forward. We should be doing that for each other. And I think we already addressed the point that if the requirements are not met, that's okay. Let Move it go. on. Amen. Amen. Nothing else to be said there. It just wasn't meant to be. Now, one of the things we also recommend is having an Abraham. It's very important that you find someone in your life whom God is blessing in their relationship with him that can tell you no. If we don't have someone that can tell us no in our lives, in our pursuits of relationship, we are in a dangerous place. That means you left to your own devices and you young. It's not like you've been through a lot of marriages or relationships. And in this sense, if God has a very deep relationship with another human being that you know and you can see that the spirit is working in that person's life, why deprive yourself of that wisdom? There's no reason. 
to protect you from making a foolish decision. So we, we highly recommend having an Abraham. And I remember when, when we were dating, and like she mentioned earlier, that we had waited a year and nine months. And I came to my spiritual parents and I said, look, I'm interested in Candice. This is what it is. And they said, okay, well, we want you to wait a year. A year. I'm like, a year? A year. And so, of course, Candace is thinking, what's up with this guy? Like, he expressed interest, but nothing's progressing. You know, and I remember one time I was flying to Germany and, you know, I got this little hate message on Facebook from Candace. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like, I don't want no guy playing with my emotions. This and this and this, right? And I'm looking at the message like, oh, snap. You know, I'm under pressure. I'm under fire. And... You know, we had a conversation. It wasn't a good conversation, <laughs> but we were honest. But the reality was that she, be, she saw, and obviously my spiritual parents saw, that I was very, very serious about being careful not to trust and lean to my own understanding. If they thought a year was good, then I was going to wait a year. And if that meant that she had to walk away, and I told Candace that in that conversation, I said, you know, if you don't trust me, you have all license to walk away. If you think I'm just playing a game as your friend, I encourage you to move on. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very, very important. I know our time has come to a close, but there's yeah. one thing that I want us to end on. At yeah, least. go ahead, babe. Um, as we look in, in Genesis 24, um, something that I found very interesting in here is that there's an oath that is made, right? Eliezer had, or Abraham as Eliezer put his hand under his thigh and he t makes him take an oath. Um, he's pretty much taking an oath to, to adhere to what these requirements are that Abraham has listed. And as we think about it, um, we just went through and saw that how God's requirements relate to it. And in a way, we, we see what God's requirements here too are. Um, and so for many of us, I'm, I guess the encouragement and the admonition is to also, you know, have you taken that oath with God? that these are the things and the principles that you too want to adhere to um, because um, you trust that your father, like Abraham, is blessed in all things, um, that our heavenly father is truly seeking our best interest. Um, and not only that, but that he has agencies that are also working on our behalf. Eliezer went out for Abraham. And it's the same way we have the Holy Spirit right now that is working according to the father's command, right? Mm -hmm. And he's going out. And we say we trust and we say that we want the Lord to, to guide us to whoever this person is. Um, and we know that he does that through, through the Holy Spirit. But are we, really, are we really like Isaac in which where we're saying, I don't even need to be a part of the equation. Um, I'm trusting that whatever my father has planned out and whatever is going before me, it will be. And so I think we... We just wanted to end by making that very, very simple appeal. Is that some people have not made a commitment in their mind. Like Isaac made a commitment, like Eleazar made a commitment to Abraham. That this is just not how I'm going to operate. And so we want to extend that same decision. Because some of you are already in relationships. Some of you have come out of bad relationships. Some of you are just starting. And some of you are interested. But regardless of the fact of wherever you are in that spectrum, maybe it's time for you to also make a commitment to God. 
And there was a young lady that came to me in England <clears throat> last year. And she said to me that she was in a relationship. And when she got in a relationship, she was on fire for Christ. But after five years of being in that relationship, she stopped having devotions. She stopped going on missions. She stopped being involved in the church. She stopped seeking God. And she says, we knew along the way that we were distracting each other from God. But we continued in relationship because we were so tightly bonded. And so she said, now it's been five years and I was convicted by your presentation that I was giving on relationships there in England. And she said, what should I do? And I said, you should end it today. And she looked at me and she said, but, you know, it's been five years. I feel like that's a little rude and it's going to hurt his feelings. Like, we've been dating for five years. And I said, what about Jesus' feelings? You've been neglecting him for five years. So what about Jesus' feelings? So our appeal this morning is about us taking due consideration for the Lord's feelings. I don't care how much you love another man or another woman, they did not die for you. So every head is bowed, every eye is closed, and we just want to call people to a decision. To say, Lord, I need to make a commitment to write down my non-negotiables. And if you want to make that commitment this morning, to say, I'm going to write down a list of my non-negotiables, and I'm taking an oath before God, and in the presence of the Holy Spirit, that I will submit to God's wisdom. And to this list, I will not deviate for what I know to be biblically sound and reasonable. If that's your desire to submit to that and to make an oath with Jesus today, then I'm going to consider Jesus' feelings first. I just want to invite you to stand right where you are. You say, I want to make that oath that I'm going to consider Jesus' feelings first and my approach to the relationships going forward. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege of being able to study your word this morning, to be able to share from personal experience, and to look at various biblical illustrations. We ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit may abide with us as we stand before you in humility and recognition of the limitations of our reason, of recognition that our emotions sometimes get the best of us. And so, Lord, here we are putting our hand under your thigh and saying, yes, we take this oath with you to do things the right way, to consider Jesus' feelings first as we explore the potential of relationships going forward. We thank you for hearing and answering this prayer, and we offer this prayer from our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, 
visit us online at www.gycweb.org.